Hello and welcome to the Grace Place NYC. We are a church in the neighborhood of Hamilton Heights in Harlem. Our purpose is to live for Christ, love the lost, and transform our culture. We're going to be in part two of our series on the book of Proverbs. And my subtitle today is Foolishness Is. Uh, How many of you would lift your hands uh, and say that you consider yourself a fool or a foolish person? Nobody. How many of you know someone that you would consider foolish or a fool? This one person being honest in here, uh, someone kind of barely halfway. I do. Shoot. (laughs) But but I, I do that to say this. It's a lot easier to spot a fool than to see the fool inside of us, isn't it? Last week, we talked about what wisdom is, and throughout the book of Proverbs, foolishness is set up as the opposite of wisdom. We're going to talk about three types of foolish people today, so by the end of today's message, you'll know whether you're a fool or not. Okay, deal? Okay, I'll let you know. Uh, you, you should know by the end of this message. So what is foolishness? Like, what is at the core or what is at the heart of foolishness. Psalm 14.1 says this, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Obviously, this verse can apply to atheists, but do you know what another way we can say there is no God is? It's when we place something or someone other than God at the center of our lives. For example, if we trust money more than we trust God, we are saying that there is No God, because a God that is not as powerful or trustworthy as money is not the God of the Bible. Foolishness is elevating anything, whether that be a bad thing or a good thing, above God in our lives. Foolishness is attempting to find ultimate happiness and fulfillment in anything outside of God. Listen to how Jesus contrasted wisdom and foolishness in Matthew chapter Number seven, starting with verse number 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had at its foundation, or because it had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Ultimately, as I mentioned last week, Jesus is wisdom personified in the flesh. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Therefore, true wisdom comes from listening and obeying and following the teachings of of Jesus. It comes from developing an intimate relationship with Jesus. Wisdom comes from making Jesus the center of our lives, the center of our attention, and the center of our focus. Let's look at let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 22, and it'll be up on the screen for you to read along. It says this, "How long will you who are simple love your simple ways?" How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? This verse describes three types of fools, and that's going to be the basis from which we get our teaching today. The first type of fool that the text talks about is the simple. 
the simple. What makes a person a fool is that they are out of touch with reality, right? When you think of someone that's foolish, you, you think that they are out of touch with reality on some level. But each kind of fool we're going to look at today is out of touch with reality differently. The word simple in this verse, in the original language, means gullible or someone who is naive. In this context, the foolish person believes anything without doing their own research or their own due diligence. The simple person will send $7,000 to the African prince that promises in a random email to give them their inheritance once you wire over the money. Have you ever had an email like that where you give me $5,000 up front and I'm, I, I have an inheritance and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it all to you? The simple person will constantly fall into get-rich-quick schemes, okay? Like selling the most recent greatest vitamin in the world. It seems like every other year they find a new greatest vitamin in the world and, and they get people to start selling those things. If you do, I'm not saying anything against you. I'm just, I'm just saying. Or like spending $300 on a seminar to learn five ways to become a millionaire overnight. If you talk to millionaires, none of them have become a millionaire are very few. There's a very small percentage that you win the lottery or you come into a large sum of money. Most millionaires, man, they build their wealth over a lifetime of good decisions. Proverbs 14:15 says this, "The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps." Proverbs 1:32 says, "For the waywardness of the naive will kill them." That word waywardness in the original language, it means seducible. It means to be seducible, to be easily seduced, which means that those who are easily seduced by what this world has to offer are going to be destroyed by the things they are seduced by. If you're a simple person and happen to be conservative in your political affiliation, you believe everything Fox News tells you. And if you are a liberal in your political affiliation, you believe everything MSNBC or CNN tells you. Simple people tend to be into conspiracy theories. The simple person is easily led astray because they have built their house on sand instead of on the rock. What this looks like is they may be led astray by a super charismatic leader that impresses them with their charisma and charm. I've told you this before, but Priscilla and I, we were under the leadership of someone who was very controlling and who had a forceful personality, but at the same time, they were also very charismatic and charming at the same time. And this person, they created a culture that became progressively more controlling until we just decided that we had to leave the ministry because it had become so unhealthy. Sometimes people seek approval so much that if someone with a strong personality, with a little charisma comes along, they'll throw logic out the window and believe anything they say, no matter how unhealthy it is, no matter how weird it is, no matter how damaging it is. You got to be careful. There was a psychologist from Yale named Stanley Milgram back in the 60s that wanted to understand how so many people in Nazi Germany could band together and do what they did 
to the Jews on a large scale. Not just like Hitler and his generals right underneath him, but like there were like a million people that were mobilized to, to come together and exterminate the Jews during Nazi Germany. He wanted to know if humans on a large scale would obey someone who was in authority over them, even if it went against their moral code. So he came up with an experiment where he got two volunteers, one to be a student and the other a teacher. And he did this because when, when you would talk to people that were part of uh, Nazi Germany and part of the Holocaust after it happened, they would say, they would shift the blame and say, I was just following orders. That, that would be their response to their children and their grandchildren. And so he came up with this, this experiment where he got two volunteers. One was a student and the other was a teacher in the experiment. And the volunteers were recruited from a newspaper ad and they were told that they were, ta be, uh, they were taking part in an investigation into memory and learning. And so the teacher would ask the student a question and for every wrong answer, the teacher would administer a shock to the student that was being asked the question. And also, for every wrong answer, the shocks would progressively get stronger and stronger and more and more intense. So in the first variation, the student was next to the teacher. And so every time the student got a wrong answer, the teacher had to take the student's hand and place it on a shock plate and shock him that way. In the second variation, the teacher didn't put the, the student's hand on the shock plate, but they were in the same room and he could see the student as he was, uh, as he was administering the shock to the student. In another variation, the student was placed in another room, okay, but he could see the student's face and he could, he could see the student's reaction every time he pressed a button that shocked him. And on the buttons, it went from slight shock all the way to, uh, it just had three X's on the shock, meaning basically you're, you're killing that person because the shock is so strong. And so, and then in, another, in one more variation, the student was placed in a separate room and outside of hearing the thumping of the student pounding on the wall to get out, he couldn't see the student or hear the student as he was giving them the questions and the shock. And oh, by the way, the scientist that designed the experiment rigged it to where the student that was uh, being shocked, they were, they were actually friends of the original psychologist, and they were also scientists. And so they were the only, so they were acting the part. So they would get, they would act like the shocks were getting worse and worse, but really it it wasn't. They were just acting like it. So the only volunteer was the teacher that was asking the questions and then administering the shock. Okay. Uh, so the first time the volunteer would ask to stop the experiment because they were uncomfortable because they heard the, the, the screaming or they, they, the student was jerking or he was complaining about pain. The first time the volunteer would ask to stop, the scientist leading the experiment that was sitting next to the teacher would calmly say, please continue. The second time they would ask, the scientist would say, the experiment requires that you continue. The third time that the teacher would say, I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what's going on with the student. I don't know if they're going to have a heart attack. I don't know any complications. The third time, the, 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 the scientist would coldly say, it is absolutely essential to continue. You can watch this on YouTube too. It's crazy. The fourth time, the scientist would say, you have no choice but to continue. 
And here are the results. When the teacher had to place the student's hand on the shock plate, 70% of the volunteers quit the experiment before going very far. When the volunteers were in the same room but didn't have to physically touch the student, the number went down slightly with 60% refusing to continue before going very far. But get this, when they could neither see the student's pain or hear their cries, only 35% refused to continue, meaning 65% of the volunteers were able to go through the entire experiment and for all intents and purposes, kill someone. I say that to say this, we must be grounded in truth and wisdom from God's word or we may be seduced or led astray into doing things that are against our moral code. We might say that we would never do something like that, but if we're not walking in wisdom, if we're not grounded in a biblical worldview where our, moral, where our morals are tied to something bigger than just us, how we feel about a situation, we might do things that we would never dream about doing that are completely against our moral code. Because the simple person has not devoted themselves to wisdom, they are vulnerable to foolish decisions. They are seducible, okay? So that's the first type of fool mentioned in Proverbs 1.22. The second type of fool mentioned in that passage is the mocker. The mocker. The text says, how long will mockers delight in mockery? A mocker is someone who is full of pride and arrogance and think they know everything. You know anybody like that? Where they, they're a know-it-all, no matter what subject, no matter what topic you bring up, they act like they are the premier expert in that subject. And it's like, I, you know, it's like there's no other opinion or thought that can survive when you're around this person. Uh, <laughs> there's someone that's full of pride and arrogance and think they know everything. A mocker laughs at things that are really important. A mocker is cynical about everything and thinks they have all the answers. A mocker hates submitting to any authority because they think, they might not admit it, they might not say it, but in their heart, they hate submitting to any authority because they think they know it all. They think they know the better way to do things. A mocker tends to be very sarcastic and their sarcasm is a symptom of their prideful analysis of life. A mocker tears people down through sarcasm and cynicism, okay? The most obvious example of this would be Saturday Night Live, right? Uh, some of their skits and spoofs are genuinely funny, but then a lot of it is just mocking people whom they disagree politically with. That's what it boils down to. A mocker is different from someone that wants to make people laugh because a mocker mocks people and is cynical of people because they ultimately believe they are intellectually superior to them. And so that's why they mock them. That's why they make fun of them. That's why they tear them down. In preparing this message, something I found interesting is that one of the definitions of, the, uh, of a mocker is an interpreter. In other words, a mocker interprets life through the lens of negativity, sarcasm, and cynicism. For example, this is how it would work in the church world. If pastor is laying out a fresh vision for the church, the mocker will tell people why the vision won't work, and he'll probably mock the pastor while he's doing it. 
Pastor really thinks that he's going to actually make a dent in the homeless population in the neighborhood. These people, they were here before he showed up and they'll be here after he leaves town. Or why is pastor trying to raise all of this money? He probably just wants to upgrade his shoe collection so he can get on Preachers and Sneakers, the Instagram page, okay? He probably just wants to raise all this money so he can, he can uh, increase and inflate his bank account. The reason it's wise to stay away from the mocker is that if you spend too much time with a mocker, their interpretation of the world will start to be imparted to you and you will become one yourself. This person mocks people for their biblical values. You're so gullible to believe that Jesus actually rose from the dead. You actually believe that someone that was crucified rose from the dead. You're that gullible to believe that? Even though if you look at it historically, there's quite a bit of evidence that points to the resurrection of Jesus. You're waiting until you're married to have sex? What are you scared of? We're not in the 50s anymore. You guys don't drink? You are so legalistic. You need to get out there a little bit and live life. The third type of fool that Proverbs 1.22 talks about is the knowledge hater. The knowledge hater. Let's look at the text again. How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? It's not that the foolish person lacks intelligence but they don't think they need to learn anything more because of their stubborn pride. They believe they have all the answers. That the, the knowledge hater is wise in their own eyes. Just as a wise person pursues people to hold them accountable, the foolish person doesn't think they need anyone to hold them accountable. They arrogantly walk through life bragging that no one tells them what to do. You ever heard someone say that? Or in, or in other words... The way they justify it is, only God can judge me now. Basically, you're saying, no human can, only God can. Nobody tells me what to do. Proverbs 1.7 says this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 10.21 says, The lips of the righteous nourish many, but fools die for lack of sense. Fools die for lack of sense because they don't receive advice because they despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. If you want to be wise, you listen to wise counsel. If you want to be a fool, you go through life saying, No one can tell me what to do. There are two types of people that come to the city for missions trips. Okay? There are wise people and foolish people and nothing in between. Here's what I mean by that. We usually host a couple teams every summer. We'll, we'll host them for a week and we'll do ministry in the city and all those things. And months before the teams ever step foot on New York City soil, we tell them, you need to wear comfortable shoes. Okay? It's not about fashion. It's not about looking cute. Okay? It's not about any of that. Because you are going to be walking more than you have ever walked in your entire life. I don't care if you have a gym membership. I don't care if you go to the park every night to walk. You will walk in New York City more than you have ever walked before. There. Walking in a park on a track is much different from walking in the city. Yeah. We tell them, and then 
inevitably on the first day that we meet with everybody and do an orientation, I'll look down at their shoes, one person wearing flats, another person wearing boots, another person wearing, you know, whatever. And, and, and I'm thinking to myself, in four hours, you guys are going to be crying, saying, you can't take the city anymore because my feet are so on fire and I hate New York City and I hate missions, all because you decided not to wear your New Balance and you decided to wear your stylish shoes. The fool is the one who knows that gambling is a slippery slope, but when others see red flags and talk to him or her, they ignore them and tell them, I've got everything under control. And instead of listening, a fool keeps going and going until the savings are drained and they're up to their eyeballs in debt. The fool is the one that says that their addiction is not hurting anyone else while all the people that are closest to them are suffering because of their mistakes and because of their choices. The fool is the one that is flirting with a coworker but is married. And when friends come to them and tell them they're crossing the line, they deny that anything is going on. They justify it. They say, we're just friends. We're just having conversation. And instead of squashing it right then and there, their foolishness destroys their marriage and reputation in their family, yeah. not to mention all of those things for the other person as well. This type of fool has a strong opinion about everything and has to share it, okay? And there's nothing wrong with having strong opinions, but you don't always have to share them or try to get everyone else to share your opinion, yeah. okay? There are some people that they're not happy unless you completely agree with everything they say. And if you don't, they'll either cut you out of their lives or they'll be very rude to you or cynical, they'll mock you or whatever. Okay, some conversations are best left open-ended. Okay, we're going to just agree to disagree. You have this view, I have this view, I'm not going to change your mind, you're not going to change my mind, and we'll just, we'll, we'll stay friends and, we'll, st and we'll, we'll still be able to have these types of conversations, right? Fools are super dogmatic about their opinion and don't leave room for their opinions to be tweaked, changed, or even challenged, right? And they have strong opinions about everything and everyone. They have a strong opinion about the president. Yeah. Sure, all of us have a strong opinion about the president. <laughs> Some try to shove their hatred of the president down your throat, while others try to shove their blind love for the president down your throat. They have a strong opinion about organic food. Okay, if you eat any food that isn't organic, you're poisoning your body. On the other side of the spectrum, only bougie people eat organic food. I, I'm a common person. I'm a real person. I'll, I'll eat whatever, right? They have a strong opinion about whether the Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich. By the way, I have not tried the Popeye's chicken sandwich. I do enjoy the Chick-fil-A chicken sandwich, and I enjoy their service as well. I, I need to try the Popeye's chicken sandwich, but I think they're out right now, so... Maybe when they get another uh, shipment of chicken in, I'll, I'll try it. So as I close today, and if I could have the worship team come up, I want to read a scripture from 1 Corinthians. It's going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18, and it says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Church, it's only through the gospel that we can truly avoid foolishness in our lives. It's only through the gospel 
Is that loud? Can we turn that down a little bit? Thank you. <laughs> it's only through the gospel that we can truly avoid foolishness in our lives. Because like I mentioned earlier, foolishness is ultimately putting anything or anyone at the center of our lives above Jesus. It's placing anything, whether that be our career, whether that be our children, whether that be our spouse, whether that be our, our wealth, whether that be our education, whether that be our opinions, whatever it is in our lives, whether it's, you know, it doesn't have to always be in the sinful category as well. A lot of times we put good things and elevate them into ultimate things. And that is the ultimate, that is the ultimate foolishness. Putting anything above our relationship with Jesus. The reason we are naive and easily seduced by the world is because we don't fully grasp what Jesus had to pay in order for us to have salvation. We don't fully grasp the significance of what Jesus had to do in order to give us righteousness, in order to bring life to our dead bodies. We don't understand, and because of that, we take it for granted and we're easily seduced by other things. And we put ourselves in the category of the simple person, the naive, the gullible, the person that will believe anything, the person that will be led astray by anything. The gospel keeps us from being overly cynical and negative because we've been overwhelmed by Christ's love. Amen? The gospel keeps us humble because we understand that our salvation is not something we earn or can work for. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when you understand that Christ, by His grace, gave us something that we could not achieve on our own, it makes us humble. It keeps us from being cynical. It keeps us from thinking that I have all the answers and I know everything and I don't need to learn anything. When we understand the gospel fully, we take a humble, lowly posture. When we see that Jesus, when he was on the throne, stepped off of the throne and entered into humanity and he laid aside his privileges, he laid aside his authority. He laid aside his deity in order to come and serve us. We can't help but be humble. We can't help but be broken. We can't help but say, I need help. When you and I understand the gospel properly, we know that we aren't the smartest or the wisest or beyond the need of help. We understand without Christ, without His cross, without His resurrection, without His love, we are helpless. 